Uh, hello, my friends. Hello, my life warriors, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Day In, Day Out podcast. Woo! Today on episode 197, I was very lucky to have a privilege to have uh, Josh uh, Fingerhut on the podcast. I got to say uh, thank you, Ed Seydu, uh, for introducing me uh, to this or a wonderful chap. Uh, he is a, how can I put it? He is an actor, photographer. He is training to be a therapist and yes he has one epic story to tell of addiction and survival i've got to say it was a joy to have him on the podcast i look forward to bringing him back on again and yeah i think this is the start of a beautiful friendship anyway enjoy the show please subscribe and yeah have a wonderful day and yeah enjoy the show yeah baby (laughs) oh Hello, my friends. Hello, my life warriors, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Day In, Day Out podcast. Woo! Today on episode 197, I am very lucky, privileged to have a Josh Fingerhut on the podcast today. He is an actor, photographer, and yes, like what can I say? A man with a story to tell. Uh, how yeah. are you today, sir? I am well. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, I, I also, I, I need to add on a couple more titles because oh. just those two wasn't, weren't enough. Okay, um, no, no worries, please. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. I just, I, <laughs> I recently became a boxing instructor in LA and I also am in grad school and, um, in, in a, and am a therapist intern at a, at a rehabilitation center. You, you know what? What can I say? Look, if I said if I said it, I'd be like, okay. Where, how many titles do you need? Sir? How many titles do you need? Yeah, it, it, it's a lot, but it's it, that that that's kind of the, the main picture right now. Yeah, like this is the thing. Look, did you when you thought okay many moons ago, like mm. yeah, you would be having all of these titles, all of these things going on uh, in your life. Uh, yeah, no, I did not think that at all. I thought, uh, gosh, I'm 39 now. I thought when I was 30, I would be a very famous actor living large on a yacht, <laughs> making all those films, you know, just like being a tabloid, whatever. The f- I grew up with that stuff and I was like attracted to that kind of like thing. So when I was 15 years old, I thought that that's where I would be. I never thought in a million years I would become a gnarly meth addict and almost die from a severe addiction uh, and then kind of like bounce back in this crazy new world of recovery Mm. doing all the things I now find a lot of joy in yeah because like this is the thing like okay like you mentioned that yes you were you you were an addict do you still consider yourself an addict or do you like put that to a previous chapter yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and I think if you ask 10 different people, you're going to get 10 different answers. Mm. Um, the way that I look at it is that I am, I will always be an addict. Yeah. Uh, I am just in, in, in recovery right now. Mm. Um, but the addiction is still there. It's still a part of me. Uh, it doesn't define me completely, but it, you know, it's, it's part of my shadow. It's part of my, you know, the underbelly side of me yeah like this is the thing it's part of your shadow like when like 
okay. It's one of those things. No one goes out there and goes, you know what? I want to be addicted to meth and like, yeah, have this as one of those, one of those sort of pins and needles in my life. Like, yeah, what made you like, uh, okay, how did you start getting down into that sort of life, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, for me, it was kind of like a, a slippery slope. Um, and I did a lot of, uh, I'll say I did a lot of research with cocaine in my 20s. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and like cocaine is like, that was the party drug, right? Like that, that drug is okay to do. Like, especially when you're like a young actor type in LA, it's what you'd kind of, you go out drinking, you'd, you find some, some Coke and like, you just talk cod shit to strangers all night. It's just like, you know, it, it's a way to kind of like feel um, important. And for me personally, it was a way to feel like I mattered in a town where you can get drowned out very quickly because everybody in this town wants the same thing. And my insecurities were so big that um, uh, I couldn't handle the fact that like, I was just like an, another person. I had this whole thing of like, I was special and, and I need to prove that people need to acknowledge that. And when they didn't alcohol and drugs and women and all that kind of stuff kind of like came in and was my distraction. It was my, a validation source if you will yeah no because this is the thing like uh, if there's going to be any city on this planet where okay you can get can get into that sort of trouble quite easily it's yeah. going to definitely be LA because look it's everyone's out there on the hustle in like from what I can see as an outsider like yeah six and a bit thousand miles away it's like okay like you go there it's like yeah if you're not chasing a like either trying to become like a star you're trying to like get your film or tv show launched and yeah there's this this crazy game of one upmanship which mm -hmm. is played every day it must yeah yeah well and, and and i came out i came out to la when i was 24 years old and mm. uh I didn't really have a plan. I just thought I was a special, talented actor and that like this town would recognize that immediately and be like, oh, thank you so much for finally <laughs> going up, Josh. Like we've been waiting for, you're the next guy, you know? Is that um, thank you for coming off that bus and airplane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have arrived, welcome. Oh. Um, it, it didn't happen like that, it was so strange. Um, and uh, And, you know, so like, I have noticed when my other friends have come out, like when they came out later on in their late twenties and early thirties, they had established themselves. They had um, kind of figured out who they were and they didn't fall into the traps that I did. Um, mm. So when I came out, I was uh, uh, presenting, like I had my shit together, but I was deeply, deeply insecure. I wanted everybody to like me. I really wanted to like, you know, book the job and, and show my family that I could do it and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you know, after the first two years kind of realized like, Oh, it's not going to go as quickly as I thought it was. Well, mm -hmm. shit, I got to like find some part-time work now. And, and, and sorry, I start doing these like, you know, bartending jobs and became a personal trainer and stuff like that. Stuff I never really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so I'm then lost in the shuffle. Right. But then, you know, going out and, and drinking and having those kind of like electric moments with strangers or like 
doing a bunch of drugs with a beautiful girl and like feeling like you just fell in love for that, like that, you know, uh, lightning in a bottle type of type of thing. All of a sudden, you know, I felt wanted and desired again, and it felt great. So that was kind of the shift in like why and like how, like I was a smart kid. I got straight A's in school and like, I knew that drugs were bad and I knew all that. I knew all of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's how someone like me could like kind of start going down that path step by step. And then about a decade of that kind of behavior and it got like more intense every year. Mm. And then after a breakup, um, I was living by myself. I was in my, my early thirties bartending downtown LA and just so lonely. I was so lonely. Um, and one of my fellow bartenders was like, Hey, do you want to go to this after hours party? And like, they're all around LA. It's like the secret thing. They pop up every night in different locations. Uh, and of course I, here I was like coming out of a relationship where, you know, everybody thought that me and this girl were going to get married. Um, and, and all I wanted to do was like connect with people, but I felt ashamed. I felt like I had lost my friend group. Mm -hmm. So like I was kind of starting over. And so this guy, my new friend was like, you want to come to this after hours party? And all of a sudden it's like, I go into this secret world where like every drug, every drug is, is there. There's like, there's, it's kind of like the wild west when it comes to that stuff. And it's like intense raves and like, just people are there just kind of, it's like pure escapism um, mm. is what I would call it. And through that kind of world, I got, you know, I got introduced to meth and heroin and all those things. And of course, like, you know, there would be like, you know, pretty women and all that stuff. And so all the things that I had like built my validation source on in my twenties, I, uh, I, it was there again, but this time the drug component was elevated and wanting to look cool and wanting to be like, Oh, I can handle my shit. I've done cocaine for, <laughs> for a decade. I can handle some meth. And, um, that's not a that's not a sentence which is gonna end up in a positive way, my friend. <laughs> it's like, it's like I'm, I've been doing coke. Huh? Yeah, that's not yeah. a problem. Well, <laughs> yeah, like, it, well, what's funny is like so. I, a lot of my friends have like accidentally done meth before. Like you know, it looks similar to coke if you snort it. Like you can't tell if it's in the little bag if it's crushed up. It, they look kind of like the same. But if you snort meth, it burns like it your nose is on fire okay and so people will be like holy shit what did i just do and they'll like throw it away and whatever i did that my nose burned and i loved it i was like whoa i was up for like two days i thought i had just like unlocked a superpower i yeah i couldn't get enough of it so i was kind of off to the races that way yeah because i was going to ask like okay with in a world where like you've got not well in this new world where you've yeah. like unlocked the key to literally, well, hedonism on most really a new epic scale, uh, yeah. with every sort of drug you could imagine or get hold of. I was going to ask, why was meth like the one that's mm. my Coca-Cola, if, if you get what I mean? That's yeah. My yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's funny, like now working in a rehab, and having spent 11 months as a resident in a rehab, you really get to like know the fentanyl addicts and the heroin addicts and the meth addicts and all the different, like we all, we all have like little different teams that we're like a part of. 
And, um, you know, one thing that I think me and a fellow like meth users and addicts like have in common is that like it, it just kind of like, it was our cheerleader um, in a world that was very drab and depressing. And I felt like, again, like very lonely. I had a lot of existential dread, like what's the point of life? We're on this, you know, rock in this dark void of space. Like this is terrifying. You know, we're only here for this brief moment in time and space. So uh, this little white crystal powder thing comes into my body and basically fires all of my neurons. The dopamine starts like releasing and all of a sudden I feel very alive, mm. you know? And in some senses, uh, eventually I went from snorting it to smoking it to eventually I became an IV user and I was shooting it up. And like, when I got to that point, it became like a spiritual practice for me. Like I thought I was communing with, with a higher power, if you will. I was, I had, I had been an atheist by this point for a long time, but when like I shot the drug up, I was like, whoa, I felt like I, I tapped into like this other level of existence. Mm. The only problem with like getting that high though, is that when you come back down, the, the, the come down, the crash is so brutal. It's like so hard to, to be in that place. And so you've got to get back to it, got to get back to it. And that's where it becomes super unsustainable. Mm. like would you like this is the thing like when you were on this and you say yeah the crash was the thing what brought you down and it's like became unsustainable was there for the longest like it was there a period of time where you were like yeah you're, you were functioning you were like getting oh, yeah. the jobs and doing everything like yeah no one would be able to tell if you get what I mean yeah um I thought I was fooling a lot of people <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I looked terrible. Like I was constantly sweating. Um, I was putting on, you know, it's funny. I was putting on a lot of weight. Um, even though like a lot of meth users tend to be skinny cause you don't eat. I would, my sleep cycle was getting messed up and I was then like binge eating. So I was like getting really like, way bigger, a bigger frame than I was. And like my hair was falling out. I mean, I granted I was going bald, but like it just with constantly sweating, it just, I didn't look put together at all, mm. but I, you know, I just kind of blamed it on like, oh man, long night bartending, you know how it is. Right. And like, I think people wanted to buy into that story because nobody wanted to acknowledge the fact that I might be doing some really serious shit. Yeah. Uh, so it was this lie that I told myself that I presented to the world and everybody wanting to be polite and not like get too involved in something very scary. Everyone kind of bought into it. Mm. Um, weirdly enough, I also booked a bunch of acting jobs when I was at this uh, stage of my life. So I felt like it was not hindering me at all. Like I was still getting what I wanted. Um, the only problem though, is that it, uh, for me, it just kept getting worse and worse. And like the, the, the need to do more just kept on um, getting bigger and, 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 and bigger. And so eventually, like I said, like it went from snorting to smoking to shooting it up. And on top of all that, like I also, you know, like just was getting involved with like, you know, I was, I, I was dating uh, sex workers and like, you know, I had drug dealers staying at my house, like things yeah. that I, you know, like, like 
I was never that guy, but all of a sudden, like I've got a bunch of drugs in my apartment, like my, you know, the girl that I'm, I'm dating her ex-boyfriend heroin dealer is like coming by to pick up some stuff. Like it was such a weird place to be in. Yeah. It must be kind of like, uh, it just sort of, I can imagine this sort of gradual drift because look, okay, you're doing the whole drug side of things and everything like this. So you're like, okay, I've got it together, but not quite. But then like the sort of separation from what your life used to be then into this sort of new life. And when I say new life, I mean like new associates you have around with you because I don't know, like, Maybe you considered quite a lot of them friends. Maybe you didn't. Maybe it was a case of, okay, like in your heart of hearts, let's just say, yeah, like a heroin drug dealer whose ex you're sleeping with most probably will like turn on you in a like heartbeat and go, yeah, it was all you. And if you've got all of that sort of weight in your house, it's not going yeah. to bode well if a police officer comes through that door. Like, um, I see the weight. I see you. Yeah and you own this place yeah and that drug dealer over there says it was all you <laughs> yeah yo that could have happened so many times like i i i be, you know like and i'll get into this part but like i i have a massive scar on my arm that's all yeah. related to the addiction stuff and that and this is like the worst that happens to me like there are so many more things that i could have done that like would have been just so horrendous i was constantly driving while under the influence mm. i never hurt anybody i never like you know crashed my car um you know there were if i really think about all the ways that it could have gone super terrible it it, it really could have so i i got off in a kind of a very uh lucky way but you know to answer your question when it comes to like the friendships and whatnot i my best friends I didn't want to see them because they would know like if, if they saw me, they would be like, what the fuck's wrong with you, man? Like, what is going on? Like, you don't show up. You you're constantly like busy and you're not like hanging out with us at all. You look terrible. Like what, what's going on? And I didn't want to have that conversation. So I kept on pushing them away. Um, and, and so, yeah, so like I made it like, we call it in, in recovery, like fair weather friends, like people who, you know, our interests align for those couple of hours. So yeah, you're my friend, you're, you're this person. And like, you know, I was paying for company, paying for friendships and all that kind of stuff. But because everybody was a part of that world, it made, I, I felt okay. I felt like my hedonism or my shadow was being welcomed into this kind of group of friends. And eventually it was this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type of duality where I, when I would leave my apartment, go out into the world, I put on my mask and try to be like Josh, the actor, like, you know, yeah, just like having a, haven't slept that well in a couple of days, you know, but I'm fine. Right. And then I'd go back to my apartment, you know, close the blinds, like set up all the pair, you know, and then have that kind of world. And I would live in this duality for, I lived there in that duality for about three years. Mm. So, like, would you say, like, okay, you lost yourself in that sort of world for three years, and, like, dare I ask, like, how did you, like, go from being lost to being found? It's a beautiful question. Um, the universe 
slapped me real hard across the face. <laughs> no, I like to, to, to explain it. Um, it happened on January 28th of 2018. Um, I was trying to find a vein to shoot up in. Um, when you, when people shoot up a lot, like the way that I was, your veins kind of like uh, hide back in your body. Your body is like, it pulls the veins, you know, back in because uh, your body kind of is like protecting itself. So I'm just like trying to find a vein and um, I have a full syringe. And at this point I'm shooting up both meth and ketamine in the same syringe. Um, it, I, like when I say like, I was so like lost and I was just trying to like find that last bit of dopamine rush, you know, yeah. but my body's so depleted of it. So like, it, like the drugs weren't really even working at this point. Anyway, I was flat broke. Rent was due in a couple of days. I had $40 left to my name. I had no idea what I was going to do. All I could see was like, I got to get high. I got to get high. Um, eventually after about an hour of like poking my arms, I think I finally register. Um, you know, I pull back the syringe and I think I see it and I just, I'm like, fuck it. And I plunged it all in. Um, and I never felt any sensation. So, uh, if, if somebody is shooting up and they miss their vein, you feel an intense burning sensation. So you know to stop immediately, or you'll feel um, uh, like intense pleasure because uh, that means the drug has hit the vein. Mm. I felt nothing, like nothing, no pleasure, no pain. It was super weird. Um, and, and I was like, all right, so that sucks. And I had to go to work. I was bartending at the time. And so I went bartending and my arm was hurting me and felt weird. And, but, you know, it was just like, whatever, um, <laughs> just another day for me. Um, and when I got home, I like, took off my shirt and my arm was getting real swollen. And I was kind of like, oh, that's, that's probably not good, but well, fuck it. I have my other arm. So I'm, I chewed up in my other arm and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I go to bed, my arm, I wake up, the arm has gotten bigger. It's really hurting. I decided to go to urgent care. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I see the doctor, I tell them that I have a spider bite because I looked up like on Reddit, you know, like, how do you tell a doctor that you have a <laughs> syringe accident? You know, it's like, just tell me you have a spider bite. So I was like, all right, try that. that. Go to Reddit for all your medical needs. Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> like you know what? Yeah. At least you went to Reddit. You could have went to somewhere worse. You could have went to 4chan. But that's not- <laughs> exactly. So um I tell the doctor, I was like, I have a spider bite. He he knows. Like they they see a lot of people like me uh every day. And so, you know, he tells me that my arm is septic and that I've got ne- necrotic tissue growing, dead tissue growing. Um, or my tissue is dying and I, I need to go to the hospital because I could actually die from this. And I am like, no, I won't. Like I'm, I'm a special guy. Like that old narrative of like, I'm a special boy. Like, don't you know who I am? Like, I'm not going to die this way. Fuck that. Um, just give me some antibiotics. So he gives me some antibiotics and I go and I take them. Um, and then the next day is Monday. And at this point, my, my ex and I, um, we had been broken up for a while now, I think a couple of years, but we were still sharing custody of our dog because 
we 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 wanted to be like a progressive couple that's like still friends and like sharing i don't know it just it seemed like a good idea at the time we both loved this dog very much and like neither one of us wanted to like say like well it's my dog because we both we got the dog together um and so uh that that monday morning i picked up the dog and then she she comes in momentarily into the story as a key player um but so then that night monday night around midnight, I remember I was playing video games and I looked down at my arm and my hand had started to swell up and that was new. And I, so I realized that the antibiotics weren't working. So that was a very scary moment. Um, And I started to kind of like freak out and, you know, I, I was just, I was panicking. I remember I even took like old syringes and was just like stabbing them into my arm, trying to like draw out fluid from my arm like I was in free fall of like not knowing what to do and and the conversation I had was like well if if I don't go to the hospital I can keep getting high uh and I really want to do that like that that that's like the best thing we can think of I might die Mm. but that's okay right like at least I'll be getting high and I'll be in that like you know quote unquote spiritual place or whatever if i do go to the hospital i'm broke um i don't know how the fuck i'm gonna i don't have health insurance i have no idea what's gonna happen that's really scary my family's gonna find out like the jig is up basically and the notion of being seen for who i really was was so terrifying that i would have rather died with my secret you know of course though once my body was found, there would have been syringes around everywhere. So like this, it wouldn't have been a secret, but that's what I was just telling myself. And so for three hours, I'm debating whether I go to the hospital or not. And then my dog, uh, uh, just started like, she picked up on my, my kind of like my fear and yeah, kind of like nudging me with her nose and whimpering. And I just remember thinking like I had adopted this, this dog and, and, uh, and we had gotten this dog like three days before she was going to be put down. And it was like the best thing I feel like I had done with my life up until this point was like, save this creature. Um, she gave me so much love and joy. And I, and it was like that one pure love uh, relationship that I had had. And I looked at her and I was like, fuck, I don't, I don't want to die knowing that I left you. Mm. Fuck. And I was like, I was pissed at her. Cause I was like, God, like, Oh, I wish you weren't here right now. I really wish you weren't here because then I could have like, I could have just gone my own way. Uh, like and that's, that's the whole thing. Like if right the dog wasn't yeah. there, like it's a case of just like okay, uh, let's let's drift off into the yeah. night. My yeah, bye bye. Yeah. yeah. So um, I decided to go to the hospital at three a.m. I, uh, I I decided to go to the best hospital in L.A. Thinking like, well, if I'm gonna if I'm going to owe money to a hospital, might as well go to the best. Thank God. <laughs> okay. So I yes. went, yeah. I went to Cedar sinai and I would go there at 3 a.m. And, and I tell them I have a spider bite. <laughs> <laughs> a spider bite. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Josh, yeah. is it? Oh, you're an actor. Mm, did you pay yeah, yeah, those yeah. glasses? Yeah, refund. Okay. Spider bite. Let's go. <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, it's like, yeah. 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 So, um, they just asked me point, but they're like, do you do drugs or alcohol? And I was like, uh, a little bit. (laughs) And, um, 
And so then I, I, I'm in the ER and then like uh, this doctor comes in, he takes a look at me, he takes a look at my arm and he was like, you want to keep your arm? And I was like, uh, yeah, I just thought they were going to give me like a super shot of antibiotics and I'd mm. be on my way. And he was like, okay, you're going to be here for a while. And so I remember like they, they put me out in the, in the hallway. Um, it's now the morning by this point and my cell phone, I think I've got like 2% battery left. I decided to text my best friend, uh, uh, Nick and, and I was just like, he and I hadn't talked in a while. I had had done a really good job of pushing him away. Mm. And, um, I said to him, uh, Hey man, uh, I'm at Cedars going to get some quick surgery. No big deal. Uh, just in case anybody like needs to know where I'm at, like, that's what's up. And like, that's what I sent. My phone died. My arms started burning really intensely. I started screaming in the hallway. I remember a nurse was like, get him up to surgery. And then I woke up two days later with a hole, like a massive hole in my arm. Um, My mom, my dad, my brother, my best friends were all standing around me in the hospital room. Um, And that was the beginning of being found. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So what had happened was... um, by missing my vein or going through my vein, I got cellulitis and the, um, we were, I'm not sure if it was, if the needle was dirty or not, but a flesh eating bacteria was, had formed, um, called necrotizing fasciitis. And that was, that was the reason why my arm was swelling up. Mm. Um, and so this flesh eating bacteria was traveling up my arm and it was going to my heart. So they had operated on me about like 12 hours before I was most certainly going to die. Um, and I ended up staying in the hospital for a month. Um, they had to do three surgeries to remove the infected tissue. And then they skin grafted my thighs to my arm. And that makes me, uh, always tell people that I now have a thicep. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Bicep. yeah. Or the, the, the other one that I've, I've recently come up with was, um, even when I'm uh, working out my arms, it's still leg day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's. A leg day. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like not, it's not both yeah. legs. It's a leg day. It's like, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, oh my Lord. Not because, yeah. well, fuck, I've got to say this. It's a good job you went to one of the most expensive places in town because you, like, well, like clapping might have been a challenge for you today, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey. But wow. Yeah. And then, and then like the story doesn't even end there. Like, I, you know, the, the people are talking to me about going to rehab and all this stuff. And I was thinking like, ah, I don't need rehab and, and all that. Um, and uh, well, before I even get to that, like having my mom there, like my mom is, is very protective and, and whatnot. And she fought for me so uh, valiantly and fiercely. And um, I was assigned a social worker uh, for my case. And like my bill was, was kept getting bigger and bigger for every night that I stayed in the hospital but because of like the, the, the pressure that I think my mom was putting on the hospital and the social worker, and they were fighting for me to get on like insurance before I left the hospital, mm-hmm. they got me on a, a type of insurance that covered my entire stay. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a version of Medi-Cal. It was like a, a third version of it, a, a third tier of it. And so that was like, you know, one of the biggest fears I had, like I thought I was gonna be like, you know, for the rest of my life paying this debt off. 
um, financially at least. And that was taken care of when I left the hospital. Um, on top of all that, like, uh, this is kind of like where synchronicity and spirituality and, and, you know, the essence of God really started to come back into my life. Mm. Um, uh, so I was raised Jewish, um, but I had left the religion because I hated the notion of a vengeful sky daddy that like punished his people. And like, I just, I, I hated religion as it was fed to me at that time. Uh, like I didn't, there was no nuance and for for me and anyway, my parents called their rabbi back in DC and he had gone to school out in LA to uh, uh, rabbinical school. And he had heard of this Jewish rehab in LA. So my parents get in touch with it. And the, the, the founder um, or the, the, the head rabbi of this uh, rehab comes to visit me in my hospital uh, room. And this guy, he doesn't look like a, a rabbi. He, he kind of like saunters in He's wearing a fedora. He's just cool. Like I would imagine like if Guy Ritchie were to make a film and needed like a cool looking rabbi, he would put Rabbi yeah. Mark in this movie. <laughs> and uh, this guy comes in, Rabbi Mark, he comes into my hospital room and he, the first words out of his mouth to me were, so I hear you're a fucking asshole. And I was just like, <laughs> okay, okay. Um, rabbi Mark, what? <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, you know, it was funny. I just, I felt very seen. I felt like I was like, yeah, like I, there's no need to bullshit. I am. I've, mm. I've really, I've really messed up here. And he told me about his rehab. I told him I didn't believe in Judaism. He told me he didn't give a shit, but he could save my life. Um, you know, and I was at this point like, uh, super swollen. I, I, had, I had ballooned up to 315 pounds and I had a hole in my arm and I was like incapable of like doing the most basic human functions on my own. Like I had to have a nurse wipe me down after I like would go to the bathroom because I couldn't like reach for anything. So like here I was 35 years old, a complete like baby again. Mm. And, you know, in that, in that, uh, you know, metaphor, it was kind of a rebirth. And so um, I decided, yeah, I guess I need help. And so I went to this rehab. It was a long-term rehab. It's uh it's an amazing place. You like their whole notion is that you don't need to like they don't charge people money and that give like, if, if, you know um if you can pay for it, they they highly uh, encourage it, but they operated um on the donation of wealthy benefactors who donated uh to their to the cause of of helping people. And so yeah, people like me that couldn't afford a rehab, um, getting an amazing treatment center. And for 11 months as well, I was like given room and board and, and food and like, you know, the basic necessities that one needs to get better, safety and shelter and all that stuff. So um, I was taken care of. Um, and through that place, I was reintroduced to spirituality. I was introduced to recovery. Um, I met the most important people in my life today through that place, uh, a fellow alumni of this program and uh, everything good in my life, which is now, it's almost been four years, I'm about uh, three years and seven months of, of being clean. And my life is like astronomically better than I could have ever imagined it to be. Uh, everything that I, I ever wanted, even before meth, 
I, I get now. Um, and that's like authentic relationships and connections and, and having this thing called integrity and, and, you know, not feeling ashamed anymore. Um, and it's all based through recovery. Like if I didn't have recovery, then I wouldn't have any of this other shit. And it's not that like, I'm the biggest AA guy or anything like that. I just, I, you know, I say, I'm sorry when I mess up. I, I constantly do work on myself. I write about my problems. I have a therapist. I'm in school to become a therapist. Um, I found other passions of mine. I still act, but you know, I'm a photographer now. Um, and, and I fell in love with boxing and, and fitness and, you know, that transformed me as well. So yeah, that, that these are all the kind of like components of my life that make it like this kind of in, in the rooms of AA, you, you hear people talk about like, you know, living a life beyond your wildest dreams. And I remember when I was first going into the rooms, I was like, well, my wildest dreams are like fast cars and money, man. Like, you know, and, and now where I'm at, it's a real, the realization of like, oh no, it's like being okay with myself and like having a healthy relationship with who I am and how I treat others. Yeah. No, because like, this is the thing, like, okay, Okay, look, uh, you, you've took a rather negative path to get to where you are today. And look, there is a number of people which I think need to sort of do that sort of, they don't do that investigation of oneself. They don't actually take a good look at oneself because look, the sort of very definition of success for many people is what you just said, fast cars, money, like, yeah, living a life of luxury and then some add that 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 if i don't have big stacks uh, i'm not making it in this world at all but it took you like yeah that sort of like really looking at yourself in the mirror and going okay yeah right is it fast cars is it like back stacks is it just like yeah chasing every scantily clad young lady around yes no <laughs> <That's> a, but <laughs> but it's a case of you looked at yourself and you went, okay, right. You know what? Yeah. Therapy's helped me and I think I can help others. So therapy, that's one of those things like, yeah, like, Hey, 315 pounds of weight, like not being able to like, you know what I mean? Clean myself, treat myself, look after myself. Okay. Yeah. Fitness is one of the things. How do I, like, how do I shape that? Oh, into boxing. Great. Yeah. Boom. And like, it's a case of look, yeah, I, I still love, yeah. I still get the vibe yet yeah, you love acting still. You might not be doing it as much as you want, but you're like, going, yeah, still like to act, still like to do that. But I still got more of a creative streak to you and head like, wait a second. Ah, I found the realm of photography. And like, like all of these things, which, you know what I mean? Adding to many sort of rich pillars in one's life. That is like that is definitely incredible for someone to do that. Like, look, there are like people out there who have one pillar. Like, yeah, this is it. And like, yeah. if that pillar crumbles, they crumble too. And I think you were on that like path for a, a very long time, you know. And it took a long, yeah. like, a lot of work to discover yourself, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think you just said it all very beautifully. Um, you know, people ask me about this scar, you know, mm. and it's a pretty, it's a gnarly one. Um, and, you know, sometimes they give me like, oh no, that must've hurt. And I'm like, I'm like, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm. Like I needed to be, you know, 
baptized again, like in, in, I needed to be woken up and I was so disconnected from, from my soul, um, that it was going to take some real intense, uh, work. And so uh, the way I kind of like to think about it is that like, I've always had this scar. I just, I just didn't know it until I was 35. Mm. Right. But this was going to happen. Um, you know, and like, this is my, this is part of my path and that everything that is happening uh, for me and to me uh, is supposed to be. Mm. And definitely not the journey that I had imagined when I was 15 years old, right? Like, and it is so much more wild than I, I could have ever, I could have ever uh, th thought of it. Like, you know, like what I love about acting is, is the storytelling mm. um, is to get together with the other people and be like, Hey, like, let's tell this cool story um, in recovery. And like, as a therapist intern, that's what we do all the time now is like actively listen and like help people find their stories and like understand like where they may have gotten lost and like use my own journey as a way to like, be like, Hey, here's where I got lost. Oh, you have like, body issues like yeah check this shit out like mm. but like you we can deal with it and so i get that storytelling and connection part from recovery as well and the same thing with photography it it's that like authentic uh connection piece um that i always loved about acting when i was on stage with somebody or doing a scene with somebody and like, there's that electric kind of like ooh, like we're both we're both so committed to this story that we're kind of losing ourselves in it. And it's, just, mm. it's a really cool feeling. And I get to take that and now put that same component in my other parts of my life. And so it's been, it's been really cool. Ah, indeed. Like, you know, like through, like, like, yeah, through your connection to spiritualism, like, yeah, like telling stories and like, look, do you like? Do you have a sense that like maybe one day in the future you might like put another thing on your title, as say author or like yeah screenwriter, uh, in the future? Uh, yeah, yes. Um, that's that's actually kind of the the next plan after I finish grad school um, is to then start working on putting some words down. Uh, you know, the stories I have are wild i mean <laughs> uh you know i i think like i think people have an idea of a drug addict that it's a really pale person who you know dresses up in black kind of baggy clothing smoking cigarettes kind of in an alleyway right that's kind of like the image i think that we're sold um, as kids, right? Like, oh, stay away from that person mm -hmm. or a homeless person, right? Like, it's just that that scary. Oh, they're they 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 are lost and they're they're um, they're dangerous. So stay away from them. So I never knew that someone like me who came from like a good family and and had like a really nice upbringing, like my family, you know, I, I had everything I could have wanted growing up. Um, I so I didn't think that I could become an addict, and so. I thought I was like too smart for it, or I had too many resources at my disposal to become one. 
And so I just constantly was telling myself like, oh, I'm just having fun right now. Oh, I'm just exploring right now. I'm not really, I can stop when I want to because I, I don't look like that, you know, person in the alleyway. Um, and so I think like that's where the stigma part of all of it needs to be addressed. And that like addiction doesn't really give a shit what your skin color is and what your bank account says. Um, if you have, if a person has a hole inside of them that they are trying to fill with external um, chemicals or behaviors, then it's not going to end well, right? And so I feel like putting words down for all that might, who knows, it would be a good practice for me just to like get my thoughts clear down and then, you know, uh, clearly down and then maybe one day try to make a book out of it or, or a screenplay or something like that. Yeah. Now, this is the thing. Yeah. You raise a very good point. Like, okay. Yes. There is the sort of quote unquote stereotype of what you like people see an addict as or where they sort of fit into society. And like the whole thing is like the, when like the reason why I said, Oh, were you functioning at the time? Because the amount of people who are, in that sort of realm of addiction and they are functioning doing like whew, like anything from a street cleaner all the way up to like the very doctor you see on a regular basis uh yeah you kind of like go oh and you go i didn't know they were like this but you will never know like the, the facade is in place and like if you're fun like if you're highly functioning believe you me it's like you can put on an amazing facade you know yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I feel like certain drugs like meth and heroin, I mean, like th there's been like discussions about like people who can maintain themselves on heroin and, and bless them if they can, if, if somebody can maintain themselves and function on meth and not be a total scumbag, like mm. my hat goes off to you. Like I'm impressed and, and enjoy your life. Um, but it's been my experience that like when people um, utilize drugs and alcohol the way that I did, um, which was a, a way to kind of put a bandaid over the gaping wound inside of me, mm. um, then it just, it just doesn't end well. Um, I've known since coming into recovery, I know so many people who have died um, just because, you know, they have a bad relapse. And then with all the shit, that's just getting more intense now, like fentanyl laced cocaine and meth and all the stuff, like you don't know what you're getting these days. And, oh. um, you know, not, not, not to go on a tangent, but like, that's also why I, I think needle exchanges and, you know, the way that Portugal dealt with their heroin problem in terms of like, Hey, we're going to make it legal. And you guys can shoot up here with clean drugs and clean syringes. And then when you're ready to get help, you're going to go over here if you want help. And then all of a sudden the drug problem like went down. Um, so I'm a huge proponent of harm reduction and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, oh man, I just lost my train of thought. Um, but when people, um, oh yeah, uh, uh, functioning people. Um, if I hadn't done, if I hadn't gotten into meth, um, you know, I would have still been, the guy who drank too much, who did cocaine on the weekends and, you know, occasional ecstasy, whatnot. But I would have been in my, like, at this point, I'm 39 and I wouldn't see an end to it. Like 
I would be that guy at the bar who's like 50 years old talking about the good old days when I was a hot shot young actor and went to a good college and and all of that. I wouldn't have been a full blown addict, but I would have just been living this like muted life that didn't have a lot of color and vibrancy in, in it. And so in this, like I said, like I the when I said that this is the best thing that ever happened to me, I'm grateful for my addiction because it it woke me up. It it kind of it it showed me that I didn't have to live in this kind of dull sense where I'm just getting by. Um, and and like I think that goes to the point where you're talking about people functioning on it. Um, yeah, it happens everywhere. And and you'd be very surprised to see who the addicts are or like, like the kinds of people who do do it. Like I know people through rehab and just through my own associations, you know, heads of, of like CEOs of big companies, um, doctors, surgeons, like they all like people who you'd be like, Oh, they're, they're they know better. They wouldn't do that. Like, <laughs> no, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, I mean, like, you know, just pop culture wise, like Michael Jackson, obviously, uh, or Prince, um, uh, not that uh, most recently Michael K. Williams, I don't know if he was an addict or not, but just like anybody who experiences like that or just wants to like even party now, like um, there's this danger associated with it uh, mm -hmm. because you don't know what you're getting and you don't know when the turn is going to happen or the fall is going to happen. Yeah, no, because like this is the thing, like I think with, uh, oh God, why am I blanking on the actor's name? Um Riley, uh, like basically when people sort of go away and sort of come back and like, yeah, they like, uh, okay. And with regards to all the stuff, what can be possibly in uh, some of the drugs these days, uh, like, yeah, fentanyl, I think it was fentanyl what took down Prince at the, at the time of his like passing. It is uh, a little bit even more of a sort of dangerous time. Um, it's a case of, yeah, you're playing the game of Russian roulette, but you honestly don't know <laughs> how many bullets you've got in the chamber. It's just like, okay, click, 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 yeah. click. And then, yeah, it could be five yeah. years, it could be 10 years, or it could be tomorrow. Yeah. Wow. You know? Yeah. And you know what's um, uh, crazy? Um, uh, sorry, I don't know if you can hear that. The uh, lawnmower is now going on outside. I apologize if that affects anything. Um, Keep going, it's okay. And, but uh, there's a really great um, speaker and author who talks about um, addiction and recovery. His name is Johan Hari. And he's given a bunch of TED Talks and talks about like the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection, it's community. Mm. And I love that so, so much uh, because it's readily available if people want it, right? Like we we have communities around us all the time. And so it, it gives me hope that like, if people ever want the, the, the help that it's not about like, I have to put this stuff down and like live a whole new life without this kind of substance. Like, yeah, that could be part of it. But like, really it's about ingratiating yourself um, in, a, in a new structure because we're social creatures and we thrive off of like social validation and being accountable and contributing to a greater good. Um, there's, a, some, there's a doctor actually in England, I don't remember his name, but he's been kind of like uh, 
you know, in, in grad school, I'm, my focus is in addiction. Um, and we, I've read an article about him that he socially prescribes people antidepressants. And what that means is people will go to him and say, hey, I'm depressed. And instead of giving them an antidepressant, he says, have you tried gardening? Mm. Have you, why don't you go join this gardening club? You know, and then people, uh, they do that and they show up to a, a little community and over the course of a year, they have these plants growing and they feel a part of, and it works. Um, and so that is all just to say that like, help is, is, is closer than one thinks. It, uh, help is closer than one might think. Mm. Yeah, no, I get that. This is the thing. I, I think many a person forgets that yes we are part of the community and look you could be uh, you could be the worst person in the world like doing horrid things but like the whole thing is it's even though people you go you are a monster in this society they still have friends they still have connections out there in the world it's not like as the old saying goes, no man is an island. And that's very true because the community we live in, it's just a case of you got to remember to turn to those people and make those connections. Because like if yeah. you don't, that's what makes life harder. Look, we are a people which build communities. We are a people which believe in collectivism. Uh, because look, when we are individuals, we can do great things but we can't do like though we can do good things, but the great things, the epic things which come out of this world comes out when we do them as a team, as a community, small, large, whatever. Like when you have that connection, yeah, that's when you're like, oh, wow. Ah, didn't know we could build this town, this city, this world, this like society. And when yeah. you're like going as an individual, you can do good stuff. Yeah. Uh, you will be soon forgotten uh, or it will not go as far as you it, you think it should go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think um, what's so interesting to witness, like I, I, I love social media in the sense that like it's connected me with a lot of my old friends and I love seeing what people are doing you know, I'm a big guy on in, like I, I, Instagram is my thing. I, I know that I can't get into TikTok because then it's just my brain's going to explode <laughs> uh, with all the puppy videos that I would watch. <laughs> you know, right. And all the challenges. I, um, but like, I, I, I love that. I feel like it, it's a really great way to express that sense of community. And yet, if we're not careful, like those kind of things can also lead uh, or can contribute to isolation, which is fascinating to, to kind of look at when I talk to my clients who are now like in, in rehab, you know, we talk about like the, like they're worried about what their image is, mm. you know, how am I presenting to the world? What does my mask look like? You know, that that's more important than the, the, the inner work uh, of like, who am I? And like, what do I stand for? And what are my like what builds my character. Um, and so it's this fascinating kind of uh, as, you know, more and more apps emerge that connect people and whatnot. And everyone kind of curates that, that, that really sexy, fun, whatever lifestyle that they want to portray. Um, there is a disconnect from the authenticity and that 
that's the part that like kind of makes me really intrigued about um, what it says about people and how do we fix that? Yeah, no, because I, I agree with you. Social media is a wonderful thing when you're building, like reconnecting with people you haven't seen for a long time. Like, yeah, building like and maintaining sort of friendships and bonds through families over a great distance. I love I mean, that fact about it. Ed, yeah. Ed Sadu, like he was yeah. my camp counselor. I know. And talked to him <laughs> in, I had talked to him in 20 years. And mm-hmm. then like we found each other this past year on Facebook. And then now here I am talking to you. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, you know, it's amazing on the power of that level. You got to go, wow, great, wonderful. But when it comes down to authenticity, that's when I have a real problem with it. Because they're like the, and like, I will go back to the realm of facades, like these, like the, the amount of fake lives which are being portrayed on it. I'm always happy. I'm always good. Look at this. Like, look, this is my epic lifestyle. And you're like, I'm, okay, yeah, that's great. After that picture's taken, like, how do you feel? Oh, God, I hate my life. Oh, oh God, life is not going the way I expected. Oh, yeah. I've like, just trying to keep this facade on is so exhausting. And like, you don't get that. And you just see the fakeness and people like buy into that fakeness and go, oh, like, look, Sally Ann over there has got an amazing life. Look at her with her kids and everything like this. Yeah, like, yeah, little Jacob and little Sonny might be a, like two monsters, but you know what I mean? In that moment, in that picture, it takes, it's great. And yeah. Yeah. I just wish that, yeah, people could be a little bit more honest when it comes to social media. Don't stop showing us the brilliant highlight reel. Like, you know what I mean? Like, show, like get a little bit real with it. Because look, you can't be up all the time and like things cannot be like only perfect all the time. Like there's a thing called life and it doesn't give two fucks about you at times and it will come at you hard and it'll come at you fast. And it, you got to like run, skip, jump to like sometimes keep up with it, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I think like when you, when you say like, like you're totally onto something there when you talk about like um, life isn't perfect all the time, but we, a lot of the times like we want it to be and like we, we really, chase that and um i love this this proverb of like the two when you know you're born with two wolves inside of you and one wolf is all the good shit compassion and 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 uh selflessness and 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 all all the you know care and love and the other wolf is greed and lust and selfishness and all Mm. that which one do you feed and it's like you got to feed both right because if you you starve one part of yourself if you always try to hold on to like i got to be perfect got to be perfect there's this other part of you right that will find its way through no matter what and it's 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 just kind of like entropy right it's it's just going to happen one way or the other at a certain point it's going to manifest itself and so the embracing the duality right embracing all the components of who we are the light and the shadow and just being like yeah i'm i'm an imperfect being um trying to figure out my you know my place and trying to do my best and trying not to be a dick like um you know like and and acknowledging that um i think it's harder for people to do that because if that gets rejected then that's like that's fully them getting rejected right i'll speak for myself i was terrified to like acknowledge that you know because if i presented myself of like hey here's who i am i am a 
you know, actor who's had some success and a lot of failure. Um, I am a pretty good photographer. Like I've got so much more to go though. Like I am like, I, I, I have so much more to learn and, and all that. And also I struggle with substances and, and I am an addict in recovery. Like this is my dirty laundry. Here it is. And if that were to be rejected, that would be very kind of like, ah, oh, man, that would be, that would be painful. Right. Mm. That would be super hard to kind of like to take. But if I just present cool guy, Josh, who has it figured out, right. And who, who knows all of the shit has an answer for everything. Right. Uh, it's, it's almost easier to be him because if that guy gets rejected, then it's not really me. Right. It's, it's the creation. It's the, it's the character I want you to see. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I, I hear you. I hear you. And like, you know what, touching on your photography, I got to say, I've been looking at your Instagram page uh, with like doing a bit of research here and there. Like, hey, man, you have got a skill set on you, sir. A skill set. Look, because I get the pic, like there's a there's a couple of pictures I look at, which really sort of interest me. Um, like the guy, like there's a picture of an old guy smoking the, well, when I say smoking a cigarette, that cigarette's up his nostril, put like, yeah, pulling the face, like gurning away. And like, yeah, yeah. like you've got, like you've got, you've got some real good skills. Like, would you say with regards to photography, uh, this was one of the like uh, instruments to sort of like connect with people more? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> so I got started with photography in my addiction. I had my, my plan was to fund my meth, my meth addiction by becoming an overnight headshot photographer in LA, right? There's everybody here's an actor. So like everybody needs a headshot. Yeah. So I just picked up a shitty camera and called myself a photographer and I was <laughs> terrible. Right. But I had that like meth confidence there. I was like, I thought I was like incredible at everything I did and like, you know, um, all that. And so I was terrible with that. But then um, I ended up, I ended up because uh, um, I was hanging out with sex workers quite a bit. Uh, and that was also getting expensive. I would trade them photos uh, for services because they needed photos for their websites. Okay. <laughs> and it was so, it's, you know, hey, it's just hey, like. Josh, uh, what type of services were those? <laughs> Um, consenting adults, uh, doing, you know, oh. making, <laughs> making stupid memories. Um, okay. yeah, memories uh, just for, it was just for companionship. It, anything else that happened was between two uh, consenting adults, um, <laughs> officer, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but like, you know, in, in that, in that world, like it'd be 3 a.m. And, and like, here we were like, just both of us out of our minds, but like still taking photos. And in that like absolute darkness, I was kind of like, ooh, like we're making art. Mm. Ooh, this is kind of cool. And I, it really kind of spoke to me and I loved it. And I loved the idea of like documenting the lifestyle and like trying to make something very, um, uh, not ugly, but something taboo, kind of beautiful. Um, if you scroll down to 2017, you'll see some of the photos I'm talking about. Um, uh, but um, anyway, so when I go to rehab, past the picture of the rather handsome dog. 
Oh, yeah. Result. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, when I go to rehab, I meet, like I said, like when I met, like when, when I say that I met like some of the most important people in my life, like, you know, funny enough, like a lot of people who go to rehab are artists. Um, and, uh, and so I met these other photographers and videographers. And I remember like, I showed them my Instagram page or like whatever documents I had of my photos. And I was like, check me out. Like I'm this really good photographer. Like, look at how good I am. And they like, they like put well, this one guy put his hand on my shoulder. And he goes, Oh man, you're terrible. Um, but he goes, he goes, you're terrible, but you got potential. And he's That's like, good. yeah, here's, here's how you get better. Here's how you do it. And like, he became one of my mentors and like showed me that like, it's going to be a continual education no matter what, you know, and that's also like why I think photography and therapy actually are really cool uh, things that kind of um, share the same path. That's like, there's so many different things. There's so many different ways to shoot photos these days. Like right now I, I love doing portraits and headshots, um, but eventually I want to get more into nature photography. Right. And then I can start learning that skill set. And then, you know, I've always wanted to learn how to take, you know, good photos of the sky and, and stars and all that just like with therapy like you know it has so many different ways that you can learn different parts of it and so you know and i guess actually acting is also a similar thing too of like you learn a craft but there's all these little subsets within the craft mm. and it, it makes it really interesting to stay a part of and to stay hungry for and like to always kind of be a student which uh, for me is a is a healthy place to be in because if i ever think that i like have something figured out that's when like my my ego can get involved and like uh my arrogance can kind of take hold and and that for me that's never a good place to be because i can kind of you know lose myself and thinking that i'm too uh cool for school or, or my, my uh, too big for my britches or whatever the phrase you want to put in there <laughs> yeah i have to ask like with you being a photographer now uh, like who do you use which brand is it canon nikon fujitsu who or, I'm a, or I, I, Pantex? sony 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 okay like okay like this is the thing i know sony has been kind of taking over how can i say it's been taking over the sort of video sort of camera front uh along like quite for some time for the last five maybe six years it's been really getting big on the sony front yeah. what made like what were you before sony because like look, no one starts out with sony come on yeah that's <laughs> the point i uh i was <laughs> um when i was starting out with my photography my friend who's a very uh he loves photography he's like got five different cameras he lent me his Nikon and a bunch of different lenses. So I learned on Nikon. Um, and then, um, you know, when I was in, in rehab, I, you know, basically had asked, like, you know, my family wanted to get me something for like not dying and, and uh, for, for doing the deal. And I was like, I think I would really like to get my own camera. And so just did some research and I went with Sony. Um, I do love Canons though. Like, Canons, when it, when it comes to taking photos of people, I think like there's a, there's a smooth, almost creamy quality that a Canon like uh, produces mm. that, you know, 
I'm able to, I can get that same result with a Sony, but only after editing. Okay. Um, uh, but at the same time, Sony uh, is so crisp and the details are so like, wow. And the, the shutter speed when you, if you want to do like burst photos, if you're taking photos of like some kind of sports events, or I do a lot of photography at, at like, you know, at birthday parties and whatnot, when things are kind of moving fast and I can just like spray, yeah, you know, like hold the shutter down and just go like that. Like you'll get some really cool shit if things are in focus and it's just beautiful to see. Yeah. Like this is a thing. All I've got to simply say, like, yeah, I just make sure my lady doesn't hear me like say this, but yeah, I've been, I've been kind of, I'm not a photographer myself, but like I do like camera gear, if yeah. you get what I mean. So I've been like eyeballing the new R3 from Canon. Just like I'm not going, yeah. If like if she knew how much it costs, like she'll go, you what? Oh my yeah. god, that's one of the things. Yeah. About camera stuff it is expensive. <laughs> so expensive. So expensive. Oh, it god. is. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and that's the thing too of of like you know and. I, you know, now that we're talking about this, it actually brings up a really good thing that applies to, I think, life and kind of stuff we were talking about before. But mm. it's like, don't fall down the trap of thinking, if I get this new lens, if I get this new camera body, then I'll be good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that's, but like, man, I've fallen victim to that so many times. Like, I need to have this new lens. And then I'll be where I want to be. And it's a, that's never the case because then it's going to be the next lens after that. Yeah. No, because like this is the thing. I look, I, I bought this, I, I bought this offering. Um, uh, yeah. And like this is the whole thing. I know, I know. I, I, I'll say this to you now. I know. If someone went, so what's your use case? Um, mm, um, uh yeah uh, yeah so what are you gonna do with this camera um take pictures <laughs> it's like going, it's like, I'm, gonna, is, I'm gonna make memories my man yeah. oh yeah <laughs> like, i'm going to do beautiful stuff you'll you'll see and it's like I, yeah. no i know deep down in my heart of hearts it's just like going yeah you you you, you want to just have a nice fancy toy just rent it for a day and just give it back. Unless <laughs> I don't know, but I want to have it. I need it in my life. No, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. But yeah, but just buying the body alone, it's like, it's, I think it's going to be around about five and a half to six thousand pounds. Like, so yeah. And yeah, not even touching on the lenses. That's something no one tells you about it when you get into photography that, yeah. All these ones and then the lighting gear and and all the stuff and like but you know what like if if anybody who listens to this or if i'm talking to my younger self now you know mm -hmm. the advice that i could have really used is that like the only thing that you really got to like learn is like how to talk to people if you shoot people like how to talk to somebody make them feel comfortable and understand how light works like you know, there are a lot of like brilliant photographers that, you know, I follow on social media and I look at their stuff and I'm like, how the fuck do you do this? This is amazing. <laughs> this is like, you know, blows my mind what they can do. Um, but they understand light, you know, and you don't need all the fancy gizmos and gears to like, to, to get the stuff. Like all you need is like a, a, a bed sheet, a white bed sheet to diffuse the sun. 
and then understand what time of day will be optimal to shoot in your apartment or right outside your apartment. Yeah. And don't have somebody stand in harsh light. And like, it's really simple, but like everybody loves to complicate it, you know? And, and yeah, you got to have this, this new lens. It's like 1.8 F stop to like really get the thing. It's like, yeah, sure. Like it will help and it's fine to get to, if you can afford it. But like, if you want to start off with this stuff, it's like, you know, know how to interact with somebody for two hours like be curious about them. Why are you getting photos? Where are you from? What's your journey? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and then be like, okay, are my settings correct on the camera? And is the light working with this, what we're trying to do? Mm. Like, that's it. <laughs> Love it. Uh, it's like, it's simple. It's not yeah. complicated. Like, come yeah. on. No, I hear you. And like, yeah, I agree. But <laughs> like, there's still part of me is like, going, hey man, look at the R3. Like, no, stop it. <laughs> so, yeah. Stop talking to me. <laughs> Just wait till the R4 comes out too, right? Like then it's, it's always going to be. <laughs> Look, like, don't worry about that. That's going to be in like five years time. Right, right, right. right, right. It's like, yeah. It's like when they bring out the quote unquote R1. Yeah, it's like, that's when it's like, oh. But yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But like, this is the thing. You bring up an important point. Like, yeah, being able to communicate with like the person who's your subject to be able to have them at ease and get them to sort of like, yeah. Um, you could say perform for the camera at that time. It's not, it must've been a difficult skill to sort of pick up over the course of time. Um, yeah, I, I, I suppose like, you know, if, if, it, it, it can be. Um, I think what I've learned for, you know, like when I got my headshots taken, I was always really nervous. And yet I wanted to be in front of the camera as an actor. And it's like, what's that about? Right. Mm -hmm. But when you're acting in the scene, you're not looking right at the camera. Right. Um, you're focused on the message of, of the scene or the story or whatever. And there's other people at play. So you're, you have your scene partner and like you're, you're working on this, you know, like you're talking about the, the drama or the comedy of the thing and the camera's just kind of capturing it, right? Mm. When you're doing a headshot or a portrait, it's like, it's just the, the person, you and the camera. And like, that's kind of it. It gets very intimate. And I think what people struggle with when it comes to photography is that we live in a 3D world, right? you know, even as I'm looking at you on the screen, like I see like depth and whatnot. And like, when I look at myself, my arm, like there's, there's so much more to me than what could be captured on just like a single image. Yeah. So when people go, Oh, I hate that photo of me. It's like, they're seeing the briefest angle where they're not flattering themselves. Because like when they look in the mirror, they can just like twist their body a little way to be like, Oh yeah, that's how I look. Right. Oh, that, this is me. Right. And like, there's all that kind of depth to me. But when we take a photo of somebody, if it's not really kind of like um, nailing it, they can be, people can be like, oh no, that's how I look. Wait, I'm, am I crazy? Cause I thought I looked this other way. And now you're telling me this camera is telling me that I look this way. Shit. You know, it's, it's, it's actually very similar to like when I was, when I was doing all the drugs and everything and, my, and I was still falling apart, I still knew how to take a good selfie. Right. Mm. Cause like, I could angle the camera up, but I knew what to do with my fucking eye, right? I could control it. I could control the story. Bring right? this motor. I did the duck lips. I did the, <laughs> the like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Smolder. Exactly. Uh, uh, exactly. Crushing, <laughs> crushing the selfie game. Um, but then when somebody else would take a group photo, 
and I couldn't hide. I couldn't, I couldn't control that photo. Mm. I would, I would delete it. I was like, I, I can't look at that photo. That's not, that's not me. I want to believe this, this other photo is always me that I'm always smoldering. Um, and so being able to communicate that to people when I take their photos, if they, if they are feeling uncomfortable, I think that usually helps because it's kind of like, you're not crazy. You're not crazy for feeling weird about this photo, like at mm. all. Like, um, you know, it's funny, I'll show them the photo and I'm looking at the light being like, oh, look at how the light is just like smoothly coming over your face. Like, isn't that really cool and flattering? And I'm really excited because that's the thing that I've been really studying and whatnot. And they're looking at the pimple. They're looking at that thing on their face. Like, oh, I look terrible. It's a terrible photo. Nope. Can't use it. And it's like, there's that disconnect going on, you know? Yeah, no, I hear that. I hear that because yeah, I, I, there was a picture of you, which I think was about, was it two or three weeks ago? Like, yeah, it was lit from the top. I'm looking at it now, actually. And done in black and white. Got to say. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, going, wow, that was an epic photo. I was like, I, I had to pass comment on it. You're like, yeah, no worries. But uh, yeah, but you did an amazing job. Loving it. Loving it. Thank Indeed. you. And you should have seen how many other photos like I didn't choose, right? Like when I say like control the thing, right? Like I took that photo in quarantine. It was just when I was by myself and I had like all this room to play. And, and but there were so many bad photos before that right mm -hmm. and it was kind of like oh i guess this one will, will work with what i'm trying to do but like going back to the whole thing of like we present the cool thing like i'm not posting the shitty photos of myself because i still want to portray that like uh i'm a photographer like yeah. work yeah. with me yeah. um right yeah. but like but that's that's i just want to like also yeah there were a ton of bad photos that were taken <laughs> Yeah, no, but it, yeah, it's about presentation uh, with this. It's about showing your true sort of skill set. And like, yeah, it's not, um, it's not what I'm saying. Yes, when I was talking about lifestyles and that sort of force imagery, that's one thing. This is like, yeah, this is your portfolio for the world to yeah. see. Ah, yes, yeah. I love it. Now, yeah. I, I'm curious, Josh, like, yes. With regards to like, okay, you've got a lot going on. You get like, you're getting your PH, uh, you're getting your PhD, right? Oh no, I'm not that smart. I'm getting my master's. Yeah, sorry, but yeah, yeah. You're getting your master's. Like, yeah, you're like becoming a qualified therapist. You're like, you're doing your photography. Like, you're like, yeah, you have aspirations to be a writer one day after everything's calmed down. On that sense, like, what? direction would you like or you see your life going in the next few years uh, oh that's such a that's such a, a great question because like i don't quite know how to answer it um like and and it's funny because i talk about this with my therapist and like with my girlfriend and like where, where do i want to end up but like mm. um i you know, when it comes to like, kind of like a physical description, like I love, I love the woods. I love kind of like uh, Northern California um, or just like outside of LA, there's some really beautiful uh, swaths of land. Um, I love dogs. Uh, my, my, my girlfriend works with horses. So like in that kind of thing, it's like animals and trees and, and nature and, and quietness, right? Like a little bit of like that kind of like a little bit of country, uh, you know, um, or the countryside elements to it. But in terms of where I see myself uh, growing, it's, I don't know. All I know is that like, 
everything is 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 working out better than I could have ever hoped. Hmm. And so I all I really do that like I do well is like I I ask for help when I need it and I go to my my team. I created a team of people that are are smarter than me and further along in their own lives than me and have like it's been where I've been and so and I got different people for different elements of my life and so I just know how to ask them for guidance and with all of that like it, it hasn't gone wrong yet and actually everything has just gotten better every year it's gotten a little bit better a little bit better so I really don't know where it all ends or or, or where it is in five years at all um, I just know that like I love my relationships. It's probably like my favorite thing about my life is like having really strong friendships. Um, I'm deeply in love with this woman, uh, which is, I could have like, it, you know, if, if I could tell myself when I was in the hospital, you know, on, you know, kind of close to the abyss and touching the void, right? I've been that close to death and be like, hey man, just you wait in about three and a half years, your mind's going to be fucking blown with like the amount of people and love that's going to come into your life. Mm. I would have been like, give me whatever you're smoking because it sounds fucking great. Um, but I, I wouldn't believe it. So if this is how, where it's come in about three and a half years, like, man, in another three and a half years, who, who knows? But I, I want to stay with photography, um, acting, writing, um, building a relationship with somebody that I love, uh, maintaining my circle of friends, uh, my, the, the gym that I, I coach boxing at, like we want to uh, expand as well. I have an idea to like combine boxing and therapy and somehow put that together and maybe go to rehabs with that because talk therapy was wonderful and I really needed to hash some shit out. But man, there were days when I just needed to hit something and like take that energy and take that trauma and just put it onto a bag and, and just leave it all out. Like I, I remember there were a couple of days, this is actually really why I fell in love with boxing. There were a couple of days in my first year of recovery where I, I was really struggling with depression and I wanted to hurt myself. Like I was kind of like thinking like maybe tonight I'll like do something very, very bad. Uh, but before I do that, let me go work out because in case I, I do end up like doing some serious damage, I still want to look, I want to look, I want to look, <laughs> okay. my ego, my ego <laughs> saving my life. Um, so I go, I go to this boxing gym and it's, it's, you know, it's my sanctuary and the people there are just really beautiful souls. And I go there and I just hit these bags and I work out as hard as I could and then I leave the gym and I'm just like, whoa, 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 I feel amazing. What, what is that? Like, what just happened? I, I was so upset before and now I can't even remember what I was angry about or what I was sad about. So there's something really healing about that sport. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I, the therapy and boxing, you know, somehow put together would be a cool thing to explore. Ah, loving it, loving it. Ah. Josh, outstanding. Now, no worries. Now, one of my final questions for today. Well, this is the final question because hey, I'm like, I'm now I need to get deep into your psyche, your like your mindset. Mm. Okay, now, here we go. Now, you, now think of 
your favorite, like think of a film, maybe your favorite film. What would that be? Gosh, there are a lot, but one film answer, it's a, it's a, a kind of an obscure one. It's called The Fall. It was, I think it came out in 2006, directed by a gentleman named Tarsem, who did this. He did the movie The Cell with Jennifer Lopez and, and Vince Vaughn. It was yeah. super trippy. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, he does this movie called The, the Cell. Or, so, sorry, uh, the, cool. the Fall. And it's a story within a story. It's uh, basically it takes place in old Hollywood. Lee Pace is the main actor. He plays a stuntman who falls off his horse and breaks his back. And he's in love with the lead actress in this, in this movie that they're making. And he's in the hospital and he finds out the lead actress has been cheating on him with like the director, something like that. And he wants to, he knows he's never going to work again. He's broken his back and he wants to kill himself. And also in this hospital is this little migrant girl who fell off a ladder and she broke her arm and she's just wandering the hallways. And he's like, Hey, look, Hey, come here, come here. Let me, uh, let me tell you a story. And he starts to create this fantasy world and of just like, you know, a bunch of heroes fighting a bad guy and the visuals and the, the transitions from the real world to the story world are so seamless and epic and, and beautiful. And, you know, basically he wants to get this girl to like sneak him morphine so he can kill himself. And so, you know, the story and, and the real world in this movie kind of merge at the end in this synchronicity. And it's very beautiful. It's very powerful. I love old Hollywood. It's kind of like an homage to old Hollywood. I highly recommend it. Okay. Okay. Now take that film. Mm. Now replace the whole cast except one actor with the Muppets. <laughs> okay. Which Muppet would which Muppet would be who and who would be those characters? Who would be three of the Muppets out of that, out of the cast? What would oh they play? God. Who would be the little like who would be the little girl? Like you can take Sesame Street characters as well if you want. Okay, okay. Oh man, I, I okay, well, uh I feel like Gonzo would be the bad guy just because I always felt like he was mischievous and like I don't know, maybe it's the nose. I was just always like, yeah, I don't trust you, Gonzo. Um <laughs> I and I was always partial Cookie Monster was my guy, so he's gonna be the main actor. Uh when it comes to the little girl, I don't I mean, I haven't seen Sesame Street in so long, and I feel like Miss Piggy was the only female. But, you know, gender aside, you know what? Let's do a baby animal. Remember Animal? Yeah. Yeah, I always thought he was, or it was like the most adorable, fun, loving creature. So yeah, Cookie Monster, who's really sad. You've got this uh, six-year-old girl version of Animal, and Gonzo's the bad guy. And um, Kermit the Frog is definitely there in some fashion or another. Okay. Just I love I just love his voice so much. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh near and near. That's very sad. You fell off your horse. <laughs> oh, he's got skills as an impressionist as well. <laughs> Loving it. Okay. Excellent. Now, Josh, I've got to ask you, I've got to say thank you for coming on today. You have been an absolute superstar. Uh, uh, it's so good to talk to you and meet you. Thank you so much for having me. 
It's great meeting you. And yeah, the pleasure of having you on today has been all mine. Ah, a joy to have. Can you tell the lovely people out there how they can find you out on those interwebs? Uh, yeah, um, real simple. I'm, I'm pretty big on Instagram. Uh, it's Josh underscore finger underscore hut. H-U-T. Uh, and for those that are curious, finger hut is my last name. It means thimble in German. Uh, it's the German word for thimble is fingerhut. So literally it's a hut for the finger. Um, I was made fun of a lot growing up, finger butt, finger slut, finger, all the shit I've, I've heard <laughs> all of it. If people can come up with a new nickname, I would love that. Uh, Cause I think I've heard them all before, but uh, Josh underscore finger underscore hut. Okay, excellent. I'll put, I'll put all of that into the description. So yes, you can track him down, find him out there and yeah, follow him on his Instagram. Ah, his photography is very good. Very good indeed. <laughs> I like, to, as I say, thank you to you, Josh. It's been a pleasure. It has been an honor. And I'd like to say thank you to you, my friends, my life warriors who have stuck with us to this point, all the way to the end. Ah, please stay safe, stay well, be awesome, be excellent, be fantastic. Be all the positive bees you can be in this world and then some. Have a great day, guys. Yes, peace. Ah, and we are...